Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. To learn more about the other shows in the lineup, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, visit homestories.la. Where do you park it? That's the number one question that we get, you know, and, and yeah, that's the right question. Oh, uh, where, uh, excuse me, uh, where, where, can, where can I park my house? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the great question. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. This is a story about tiny homes and one woman who saw a place for them in a big city. My name is Teresa Baker. I also go by Tessa. I am the co-founder of Latch Collective. Tessa grew up in Saskatoon in Canada. Like a lot of kids, she fantasized about the house she might live in someday. The big house she might live in someday. We would do tours of open houses um, just because I always always loved to see the inside of people's homes and how they lived. and I always imagined big homes. I would love to draw plans of like monster big homes and play sims and design homes. So I was definitely not into small homes, but I was interested in cities and concepts of cities. So I studied urban planning and within a class project, I ended up finding out about tiny homes to support my argument. Basically, I was doing an economics paper on the benefits of Dry cabin living. Dry cabins are more or less what they sound like. They're ones that are unconnected to running water. Tessa lived in one for a time during a semester off up in Alaska, where the lifestyle lends itself to that sort of accommodation. And from there, it was just a short theoretical hop to tiny houses. And when she returned to school... That was my last year of school, and I would just use pop in tiny houses into my class projects where I could and kind of focused or tried to bring them into the picture. And no one really understood at the time what the tiny houses were because this was like four and a half years ago, five years ago, and so people just didn't understand them as an urban concept. All that was about to change. It's the American dream, owning your own home. Look at your kitchen! <laughs> But what happens when you decide your dream oh my gosh. is only 400 square feet or less? To a ladder or stairs? It's the latest craze. By the time Tessa and her wife Shana arrived in Los Angeles in 2015, there were magazines, websites, and TV shows extolling what had come to be called the tiny lifestyle. And the time seemed right for a discussion about tiny houses in an urban setting. Even if a lot of people did, and still do, have the idea that they're primarily a rural or a suburban phenomenon. It's easier to live in a tiny house, a movable tiny house, if you are in a a rural context that has a little more lenient um, regulations, or there's just less people to realize um, that you're living in an alternative dwelling. But there also are urban contexts that are very much excited about infill development. And once they realize how tiny houses could fit into that and also affordable housing, then these urban municipalities across the country are trying to figure out how to incorporate this or how to define this and are trying to make more ways to live in tiny houses. Um, So there is a huge urban um, context and a huge urban conversation going on. Even in California. 
maybe especially in urban California, where affordable housing is increasingly out of reach. There's a problem, though. The laws, as they're currently written, don't quite know what to make of tiny houses. There are provisions for what are called auxiliary dwelling units, or ADUs. Picture a mother-in-law apartment built separately in a backyard or a freestanding office shed. That's an ADU. And that's, those are small, small and tiny houses, um, but they're foundation-based, so they're not movable homes. This isn't an arcane distinction, because movability is really important in the tiny house ethos. People who subscribe to it tend to talk a lot about freedom and flexibility, both economic and physical. The world is kind of a crazy place these days. Who knows um, how long I'll be in my current job, or even if I want to be in my job for the next 10 years. Who knows if um, my life is going to take me to another part, and I want to invest in my home that can suit my needs now, but I'm not just going to have to deal with the housing market in five years and trying to sell, but people are wanting this ownership of something because they care about this concept of home and they want to make it their own. So that flexibility of being able to move is really desirable to a lot of people. This idea that you can pick up and move your tiny house as your circumstances change, and even if you don't do so very often, you always know you can, it's hardwired into the DNA of the movement. So, how can we have movable tiny houses as accessory dwelling units? And so it's a conversation that's happening in Los Angeles right now. And um, as um, I'm a part of, well, I formed, I guess, and I'm a part of the California Tiny Advocacy Network. And so we're tiny house advocates kind of supporting each other and sharing knowledge and talking to municipalities and other groups about tiny homes. And um, what we've managed to do in Los Angeles is get the accessory dwelling unit ordinance um, to consider movable tiny houses. So um, as it stands now, the the planning council that has to do with that ordinance, I know this is getting kind of jargony, but they passed, um, they voted yes to including language for a movable tiny house in that ordinance. So that means that as long as Um, the legal office writes the language and the wider council can vote to pass that language, we're going to have movable tiny houses allowed as accessory dwelling units, which which is really exciting because that then pushes the um, the tiny house movement forward and makes more locations for living in movable tiny houses. This is Tony Shogren. I I know... I don't just believe this. I know that there's a huge population out there that is looking for another option with housing. And uh, this, it makes sense because it doesn't add, there's no fiscal impact to to the public infrastructure. And it it addresses the, the population's need, you know. And, and people want to live in a large city without always the urban sprawl and also the, 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 the intense carbon imprint that of each individual or collectively that we make, you know. You know. Tony's a musician and a recording engineer, and he lives and works in a small section of a converted warehouse space east of downtown L.A., I have, you know, somewhere on the order of, you know, 500 instruments and uh, equipment galore, you know, I mean, there's a huge rack behind me that's a thousand pounds, uh, you know, 
I'm, I'm, I have a control desk. This once once upon a time had a big console and huge control room speakers and and you know several rooms with isolation and glass in between. That's a huge amount of infrastructure. It's like living in a bomb shelter with only one window, um, and it's it's existence is bloated in that I have all this space so like my father would have said uh, you be careful what you wish for you might get it you know now what you're gonna do with all this space well you're gonna fill it just like we do with our homes so for somebody like Tony clearing away the legal barriers to tiny house living in a place like LA is of course a big step but the bigger hurdle to be cleared maybe the biggest one is that people who've seen the shows, read the articles, decided finally that a tiny house is for them. How do they actually do it? How do they get started? How do they plan for and build their own tiny house? And where? And with whom? What Tessa saw a need for was a place where the tiny house community in L.A. could house itself. A makerspace. We wanted to connect with other tiny house enthusiasts, and there wasn't a lot of... Um, there wasn't a lot of formal anything. There wasn't a way to connect. So I created the ways to connect um, through social media groups and getting to know people through these meetups that we would have. Um, I, I asked people, well, where would you build your own tiny house and are you would you want to build? And most people wanted to build their own tiny house, but there was a few things holding them back. It was a place to build and a supported community to build with. They were looking for these things and I was so excited by that. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go for this. Like, let's just start this. So a year ago, Tessa and Shana co-founded Latch Collective. Latch stands for Los Angeles Tiny Co-Building Haven. Tessa didn't set out to be an advocate for legal tiny housing in L.A. She didn't think she'd be spending her time mastering the intricacies of the zoning code. It just sort of worked out that way. Even though some people would say, oh, it's it, the tiny house movement is awesome. We don't need the cities to get involved. You do if you want your house to be legitimate lifestyle. And it is still a lifestyle if you're self-living, but there's a lot more security and it does something for affordable housing for way more people than just yourself if you're able to say, this is something that you can work for and have a tiny house and the city acknowledges it, it so there's a definition for it. And, and so I would, that's my goal for sure, is to have a legal option and for municipalities to um, include this in their planning and everything, uh, locations for tiny houses and and how what standards to build by and how they get approved. I'm trying to help people lay that all out. It's a very complicated problem, but we're getting there. Or we're trying to. We're really working at it um, because... Yeah, I'd, I want to live this way, but I'm hesitant to live that way if I don't have a legal address, and a lot of other people are the same. So, Legal issues are the biggest roadblock to tiny living in an urban setting, but they're not the only one. Tony Shogren stumbled across his when he started to untangle the problem of how to have a living space and a recording space in the tiny house that he wants to build. I found uh, a, a builder in Florida that came up with a split tiny house design and that is somewhat unique even amongst tiny house users and I thought well I could create these separate rooms in a tiny house no matter I mean the whole idea of having a tiny house and then dividing up in the rooms it just speaks uh, uh, fear to any claustrophobic being you know <laughs> what are you gonna do if you're if you're living in um, 
uh, virtually 200 to 250 square feet and you're 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 you know creating little boxes of 50 square feet or less you know that seems terrifying Tessa and Shana are wrestling with how to live tiny and raise a family so my wife and I, we would like to eventually adopt children and we're in this in-between stage where we're trying to figure out how to make our tiny lifestyle work while still planning for a future family. And that is, you know, a drawback of, uh, you know, but everyone faces that situation where they're renting or they're buying and they're trying to figure out who it's for. And, and we're trying to deal with our needs now while still addressing that we may have children in the future. So it's not really... Um, Tiny houses on wheels or movable tiny houses, they don't grow that easily. Um, however, you can have like um, kind of a prefab home that is just it's gonna, it's movable or you put your tiny house basically on a foundation. You can extend that and have that as um, an expansion. So I think that's a, a workaround to that. More generally, of course, there's this. Living in a house of under 500 square feet, which is the generally accepted benchmark for a tiny house. It just isn't for everybody. And that's something that you you can or, and you can't know. Like a lot of people have a connection to small space and they just know like it's going to be fine. I'm used to camping. I love that kind of thing. I don't have a lot of things. Um, some people are like in this in-between where they're like, I don't know if I could do it. And um, that might be a little bit of a risk for them to like build their, spend a year building. But I think there's always um, a benefit in that experience, even if you um, build in it or buy one for a while and like you learn so much about yourself and what is important to you, even in the process, that it's still a valuable thing. But some people are going to live tiny and realize that it's not for them. If you're right for it, though, and it's right for you, if you've been dispossessed by a greedy landlord or you're priced out of the market for your first home, or you want to put your money into experiences or travel rather than banking it in a conventional house and sweating out cycles of boom and bust. If you want to build transitional housing for homeless people or ex-convicts, if you are a homeless person or an ex-convict. There's a place for tiny homes in a healthy housing ecosystem. Maybe most of all, in a place like Los Angeles that's perpetually trying to balance the countervailing forces of density and sprawl. Tessa pictures neat little mini developments of five or six tiny houses organized around a common space, like the bungalow courts that were common in LA in the last century. And if that goal isn't exactly right around the corner, it just got a little closer. Earlier this week, Latch made a deal to take over part of a set building warehouse in downtown LA and become at last the one-stop build space it's been trying to be for the last year. A place where tiny home people can share knowledge and tools, where builds in progress can be securely locked away for the night, where there's always somebody around who knows more than you do about how to work a table saw, or maybe just offer a hand to steady the ladder. And one by one, help to stand up a thousand modestly scaled dreams. Yeah, I'm just really excited for Latch Collective to grow and and see um, new people come out to it because every time I have a new new member sign up or someone who's interested or inquisitive, it's so exciting to me to it's a way to collaborate on what their needs are. And so I, this is what another member, meant, uh, Tony, mentioned. He's excited to get Latch going and off the ground because he thinks that it can serve a lot of people that um, don't understand the tiny house movement now, but that they need this housing option. So maybe they, um, maybe it's not 
um, perfect for everybody, but a lot of people are looking for something that just works because it's hard to get into any kind of home ownership right now. And if we can make this a reality for more people, um, it just is life-changing for them. So I'm really excited to, to hear people's story about why they want to live tiny and what it can do for them um, because I think it's um, just a, a huge vehicle for freedom. So That's where I start to take my crazy dream of pulling my truck up along the side of the ocean and lifting up a giant door and having this beautiful open you know, window space and sit there and record a record. It, which would be, you know, like a dream 